And on the very basis level, I want to introduce those two words today. There's two words, anticipating and waiting, right? Christmas is anticipating and waiting. For some of us, we've got to go back a few years. But remember when you were a child. And when I watched this video for the first time the other day, I thought about that. And I went back to when I was a kid. And I'm laying in my bed on Christmas Eve. You know, we, we've had dinner at the family's house. We've had the presents and from the extended family. But those weren't the best presents because the best presents came on Christmas morning, right? You go to bed and you're, you're, you're laying in your bed and you're, you can't hardly wait for the morning. You can't hardly wait for that morning to come and the, 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 present, or the, the morning and the anticipation so hard to wait. And you're lying awake and you're, your eyes are open and you're just, man, I can't wait for the morning to happen. When, when you're a kid and Christmas morning, what happens to all of us is we're parents, we now know, painfully aware of what goes on, right? Five o'clock rolls around and for some reason, those kids can't get up at 7.30 or 8 o'clock to go to school the rest of the year. But on Christmas morning, one of the few days we get to sleep in as a family, what happens? Five in the morning rolls around and there they are, knocking on the door, Daddy, Mommy, get up. It's time to go open the presents. When you're a kid, you get downstairs and you see those presents all over on the tree. It's beautiful. They're wrapped up so well. They're wrapped up so nicely. They're, they're beautiful. And there's so much there. And while you know there's probably some socks there, probably a sweater, you know, those kind of things, there's something else there, too, that you know is going to be good, right? You don't know what it is. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't know how great it's going to be, but you know it's going to be good. Did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever peek before Christmas? I, I did one year. I'll be honest, my mom's, I think, probably still in here. But one year I did. I peaked one year before Christmas. And, you know, my parents, they didn't have to, after that, ever again tell me not to peak because it ruined the moment for me because I knew what I was getting. There's something about that morning waking up, the anticipation, the waiting, the longing, the promise of a presence. And I want to focus on that word here for a moment, the promise. A promise was coming, and again, you don't know what it's going to be, but you know it's going to be good. Uh, the results are a promise, a, a promise that we don't know what's in those boxes, but we know it's going to be good. Long before Christmas, long before presents and turkey and stuffing, and long before 5 o'clock in the morning awakenings, long before all these things, a gift of waiting and anticipating was happened was there. And it was in this moment right here. When the world received the greatest gift we have ever received, and I think in many ways that we lose sight of how wonderful and how great and how huge that gift was. Why do I know that? Because I can easily lose sight of how great that moment was. It was huge. There is, starting from the beginning of the Old Testament, the first one was Genesis 3.15. From there on to the end of the, of the Old Testament, there are over 300 prophecies, 300 promises of a Savior. Do you realize that? 300 of them. 300 times God wrote, 300 times God promised, 300 times God gave the word that a, that a child is coming, a savior is coming, a birth is coming, and that birth is going to save the world and change everything. It's coming, 300 years. 
What a cool thing. What a cool moment. What an awesome thing. I'm going to read all 300 today. Just kidding. I, I do want to focus, though, on one. Jeremiah 23, 5, it says this. Behold, the days are coming. That's huge. Behold, the days are coming. This is thousands of years before the day actually got there. 300 years, or many, many years before, not 300, many, many years. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. There's 300 promises just like that one. And I've mentioned this several times if you've been with us uh, during this series that I'm just taken and I'm just, this Christmas season, I'm taken with the idea of going back to, where, to what it was, going back to the way it was. If I was standing there, if I was sitting there watching this take place as, a, as, as an eyewitness, Remembering and knowing all these 300 promises, knowing that the world desperately needed what God was about to bring, watching this as a person who would see that. This year I've been taken by that because I think there's so much good in that of putting ourselves back in the place where this was huge. The moment of Christ's birth was huge. The Messiah will come to bring freedom, bring deliverance, bring justice, bring peace, bring all these things. We today have the luxury of looking back over all the years of seeing what God's done, over the, all the years of God's plan, over the years of God's purpose, and what he's done throughout history. We can look back and see what he's done and be amazed at that. But folks, at this time, they didn't have that luxury. They didn't see things like we do. They didn't understand things like we do. God, or man sinned, and God brought an amazing plan of salvation to rescue us from our sin. And that's huge, isn't it? I'm a believer, and I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, but you know what? I am a sinner, and so are you. We are sinners, but God has saved us from our sin. There is nothing we could do. There's not one thing we could have done or, or whatever else to earn that salvation. He has given it to us as a free, awesome gift. And I and you and we can have peace and know God and walk with him because of that gift. Because of the amazing gift of salvation that he never had to do. He didn't have to do that. God could have been the kind of God to throw lightning bolts down. He could have been the kind of God that said, bow before me and do this and do that and all these kind of things. And, and, and he does. And there's those places that but God, is, God is a righteous, a just, a holy God who demands and expects to have reverence and, and such. But he also gives us his plan, his purpose, his peace, and his person and who he is. And he showed us that through the person of Jesus who came to show us what love was all about and came us to show us how to live. Mankind was on the naughty list at the beginning, but we got the ultimate, ultimate gift. Again, th going, thinking back and going back to the way it was, it's been in my heart, my mind. You know, there's some things you just can't recreate, right? I, I love football. Many of you know that I love football, and I I'm, I'm hopelessly love football because it oftentimes lets me down. Uh, a few weeks ago, especially being a Vikings fan, a few weeks ago, uh, they had, there was an amazing moment. Uh, the Vikings playing the Jets, and it was huge, you know, and the Jets 
are about as bad as we are. And so it was a, a, bad, a, team, a battle of two bad teams. And, and we, it was tied going into overtime. It was, it was exciting. And, you know, there was things going on. And, and I, I'm telling you, my girls were sleeping. My wife, was, they were all taking a nap. And I was there on the couch. And, and I'll, I mean, it was amazing. Bridgewater steps back and throws the ball to Jarius Wright. And Jarius Wright runs 87 yards, 10, 20, 30, 40. And he says 50 and 60. I'm standing on my feet. And I'm shouting quietly because I don't want to wake the kids up. So I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that kind of thing. You know, and I'm so excited. My heart's pounding. I'm excited because he runs 87 yards to a touchdown. Now, those kind of moments you can't recreate. You can watch that on TV. You can watch reruns of that. But you know what's going to happen. You can't recreate the moments like that. It's hard for us to go back and remember with anticipation and the waiting that people who were watching and being and there in the moment, seeing this take place, it's impossible for us to recreate and know what that was like. The 300 promises, prophecies that God laid out. Would God do what he promised? But behold, the days are coming. You know what's interesting is that this moment when Jesus was born, this was after 400 years of God's silence. You realize that? 400 years it had been since God uttered his last words to a prophet to write down and speak. 400 years of silence. That's more, that's longer than our country has been in existence. For 400 years, God was silent. They didn't have the work of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the presence of God at this point either. And so it was silence. God was silent. God was quiet for 400 years. And yet sitting there, knowing there, walking there, they knew the 300 promises of God. I wonder if during those 400 years people would have said, maybe God didn't mean those. Maybe that didn't really happen. Maybe that's not really the case. 400 years of silence. And yet then one day, when the days were coming, when the days were right, when the moment happened, they did, just as promised. And God sent his son, Jesus, to come into the world, to change us, to free us from sin, to free us from, thin, from things. God did it. After 400 years of silence, God did it. A couple of things this Christmas that... Our Christmas taught the people who were there at the moment. And a couple of things that I think we can look on and see what that they might have learned and could teach us too about Christmas. The first one about God using in Christmas. The first one is that Christmas reminds us that at times God seems silent, but God is never absent. At times God may seem silent, but God is never absent. 400 years of silence, and then 400 years of waiting, and then the moment came, and then God spoke, and then God did it. First Kings 19, chapters 1 through, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verses 1 through 18, show us a time when God showed this value about him. And you turn there today, just before this text, in, in chapter 18, there's a very famous, very well-known, very familiar story in the, in the Old Testament. It's a story of King Ahab and his, his wicked King Ahab and his even wickeder wife, Jezebel. These two were wicked, and they, they, they served and they worshipped a god named Baal. And Baal, uh, and, Baal and, and 
you know, and, and the, the, the true people of Israel, that, there, was a, there was a rift there. And the prophet Elijah had, spo- had spoken to uh, this king Ahab and his wife and talked about and issued a challenge. Let's see whose God is real. Let's see whose God works. And so if you know the story, you know what happened. You know that they built two altars, one to Baal and one to God. And the one to Baal, they put, they, they put rocks there, and they put rocks around, they put wood on it and all this kind of thing. And the people of Baal, their worshipers, danced around, shouted, blew trumpets, sang, prayed, all these things. And of course, what happened? Nothing. Silence and peace and quiet. It just didn't happen. Nothing happened. And it got so to the point where they were, they were doing extreme things to get Baal to hear them. And, and Elijah said, well, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe you just got to shout a little louder. Maybe you'll wake him up. And so he's, he's taunting them, and they're going louder, and they're going more, and they're doing it harder, and they're dancing harder, and they're, they're, they're praying harder, and still nothing happens. And then comes Elijah's turn, and Elijah... And he casts the situation. Elijah takes uh, gallons and jugs of water and pours them on the altar to God. And he's covering this altar with water. And, and, and you know that water and fire don't mix. You know, come on, Elijah, what are you thinking? He's pouring it out. The Bible says that he put a, a, a trough around this altar. And the water was so great, so much, that the, the water filled this, this trough. And it was wet. And it was complete. And it was not going to happen by any other means. This could not happen, what God was about to do. The Bible says Elijah prayed and asked God to send fire the Bible says God did, and not only did God send fire, the Bible says that God sent so much fire that it consumed the wet, the water-soaked wood in addition to the rocks around it and licked up the water in the trenches around it. God did an amazing, incredible miracle that day when someone asked him and prayed. That's pretty cool. That's not our point this morning, because then we continue to the next chapter. We find that Jezebel was not very happy about this situation. So Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. So the Bible speaks of Elijah running out to the wilderness and getting out of there. And he is afraid for his life. He is scared to death for what's, go- for what's about to take place. And he, we find here in verse 4 of chapter 19, and he said himself, When a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, Lord. Take my way, my life, for I am no better than my father's. Again, remember, this is just days after one of the coolest things that happens in the Old Testament. Days later, the main character that God used now is saying, God, it's not worth it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I just want to lay here and I just want to die. Just take my life. Isn't that how it is sometimes when God ministers and works and does great things? Sometimes, not too long afterwards, we forget what God has done. We forget his goodness. We forget the things that he's done. Elijah did that. He was finished. On the heels of an amazing moment, he is depressed. We find in verse 9, hiding in a cave. And God asks him what he's doing there. And then in verse 10, he said, I have, become a very, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Those are all true things. And I, even I, am only the one left. They seek my life too to take it away. And he continued, God said, step out here, Elijah. I want to show you something. Imagine Elijah's moment saying, okay, here it comes. Here it is. God's going to do something huge, amazing. He's going to send revival. It's going to be fire. It's going to be loud. It's going to be amazing. So you read this account here and this passage, and he says, and the Bible says a huge wind comes along. Crash. 
boom. Elijah thinks, this is it. And God says, no, he was not in the winds. An earthquake shakes everything then. It shakes the air, everything around him. I'm sure rocks were coming down, all that kind of stuff happened. Surely God's in that. But God was not in that either. He's not in the earthquake. And then a fire comes and burns everything. Elijah thinks, surely God's in the fire. But the Bible says, God says, God was not in the fire. And then comes silence. Then comes quiet. Then comes nothing. And then God speaks. Then God speaks. And then he says, that's when he began to speak to Elijah and speak a word of, of wisdom and understanding to Elijah. It's easy to forget when, when, he, when he's silenced that sometimes in God's silence, he's working incredibly. It's easy to forget within the 400 years and the 400 times. And many, maybe you feel today that you are in the middle of the 400 years of silence. That God, where are you? Why are you done? Why aren't you speaking to me? God, what's going on? Maybe that's where you're at today. But I want to encourage you this morning with the word of God that that is not the last end result. That God at times may seem silent. He may seem distant. But God is working. God is ministering. God has a plan, church. And his plan is working. You realize that? Amidst all the garbage and junk in our world today, all the stuff going on, the terrible news we see, the horrible stuff, God has a plan and his plan is working. And I choose to trust God and trust what he's doing and trust that he will work it. As he says in Galatians 4, in Galatians 4, 4, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. But when the right time came, at that moment God acted and God did it. That brings me this morning to the next lesson we can learn today. Christmas reminds us that God not only makes promises, God fulfills promises. You ever feel like, like God is like 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 God's not on your same timetable? You ever feel at times like you're in a hurry and God's not? God, where are you? Why can't you do this? God, what's going on right now? I'm in a hurry. This has to happen today, and God is not quite in the same amount of hurry as we are sometimes, is he? I think sometimes, and I know for myself, I want I want God's power, but I don't want God's timing. I want God's hand, but I don't want his calendar. And that's part of the whole idea with God. We need to trust and walk and know and see that he is maybe silent at time, but he is working. And even though God seems silent, he is not distant. And when God makes a promise, God will fulfill the promise. God has made some amazing promises. The other day, uh, we were shopping for my girls, and my wife reminded me of a promise we made for them. She reminded me that we promised to buy them yo-yos. And I was like, I don't, what are we going to buy yo-yos for? They can't even do, can't do yo-yos. And she said, well, you, we promised them that. And so they'd ask for it, we promised them that. I, and so we're like, well, we'll buy them yo-yos. So we bought them some yo-yos and such. And, you know, I'm a good dad. I love my girls. I, I love them with all my heart. But there are times, if it wasn't for my wonderful wife, we would have forgotten that promise. There's time to think when we equate God with us. We equate God's goodness, his perfection, his, his wonderful timing, his wonderful in the right time moments with our lack and our misunderstanding and our forgetfulness at times. The reality is when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. Always, always, always. Look at some of the promises he's made in his word. Romans 10, 10, 9, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Sometimes, I want to pause for a there's sometimes when we, when we assign promises to God that God never made. Well, God, you promised me a mansion. You promised me, God, that I'd have a good, long life. No, he didn't promise those things. But he did promise a lot of good things. We have to get to the place where we say, God, I know your word. I know your promises. And those are what I'm going to stand on. I'm not going to stand the things that I think. i the things that I know. The word speaks clearly of God's promises. Philippians 4.19. And in the same, the same God who takes care of me will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now it doesn't say all of my wants. Sometimes I think I get that mixed up sometimes. For anybody else? Well, there's things that I need that I don't have. Well, God, where are you with this? God, I need this. I need that, God. He hasn't hasn't promised all those things. And when we equate God's promises with the things that he hasn't promised, we can get let down sometimes, right? No, God said, I I will promise you that I will take care of your needs according to my riches and glory, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. If God gave us all of our wants and all the things that we want in life, I think we would probably find our lives are much, much worse than we thought they would be before. I know that... I had a lot of girls in college and high school I absolutely thought would be my wife, and I wanted them with all my heart, and guess what? God knew better. <laughs> That's how we are as well, isn't it? Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Matthew eleven twenty eight. then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Those are radical promises. I ran to a story this last week that i got to share, and guys... I'm sorry, I'm going to make us look bad right now because it's a story of an amazing proposal. And I thought I had a good story, but this guy takes the cake. And so uh, this comes from, a, comes from a pastor who preached this story in his church in Texas, and it was such a good story, I had to lift it from him. And so I'll be honest with you, it's, that's how I found it today. But uh, it's a great story. It starts the story of his, his friend who one day decided that was the day he was going to propose to his girlfriend. So he picks her up in his car, drives her, and just like a normal day, she has no idea what's going to take place. He picks her up in his car, and they drive someplace, and she, they don't know where, she doesn't tell them where they, she's going, they just go, and she, they end up to going to a lake where there's a ski boat parked there waiting for them. That, that's a little weird. She jumps out of the car, they go in the ski boat, and they drive around the lake, and they have a great time fast, and they're doing all kinds of cool things. It's a lot of fun, and, and they, they do this for a few minutes, and then they find an island in the middle of the lake. And on this island, there's a picnic prepared for them with, you know, the, the whole, the, all the trappings of a picnic. And it's so romantic and so nice. And they park the boat there and they get out and they have a little picnic and they talk and they have a good time together. And then they get back in the boats and they take the boat and they go back to the shore. Now, instead of there being his car there, though, now there's a limousine waiting for them. Where his car was, now there's a limo. And they get in the car, and the limo, and his, his, his girlfriend, future fiancé, you'll see why in a moment, uh, she, says, uh, she says, what's going on? She's kind of starting to get this now. She's like, wow, this is a little weird. And he says, just, just hang with me. And so they get this limo, and they drive, it, they drive in it for a little bit, and they, they get out to an airfield. And now she's really wondering what's going on. And in this airfield, there's a little Cessna plane there waiting for them with a pilot. And they get into the plane, and they take off, and they're up in the air for about an hour or an hour and a half. And they land in some airstrip about an hour and a half away in the middle of no place on this little airstrip. And they they come down, and and there at this airstrip, there's a beat-up old jalopy truck that's sitting there. 
and it's waiting for them, and she says, this is really weird. They get in the truck. The truck doesn't start very well because it's so old and so beat up. They get into the truck, and they finally get it going, and they drive this truck to this old college. It's an old deserted college. On the college campus, in the middle of this old campus, there is a chapel there. And the chapel is dressed and decked out to the nines. It's got candles down the aisleway. It's got rose petals going down the aisleway. It's beautiful. It's ready for a wedding. And on the stage of this chapel, there's this giant card. And on the card, it says her name. They get down the front, and she's now wondering what is going on. And he said, go ahead, open the card. So she opens this giant card, and all it says in there, it says, will you? And she turns around. He's on his knees with the ring and says, and he says, will you? And he didn't say will you, because that card did, marry me. Of course she said yes, because how can you say no at that moment, right? You know, and so, again, I'm sorry, guys, for your story. It's probably not as good as that one. Uh, that's, if you're not married today, make sure you have a good story, guys. That's important, you know. A good, a good story for, uh, you know, your proposal, because let's be honest, your girl, your, your wife will tell that story forever. So make sure it's a good one. You know, don't, don't do the thing where you just sit on the couch, you know, watching TV, you throw a ring at her and say, here you go, let's get married. No, you need a good story. This guy had a good story. It was an amazing story. My point this morning is this. I want to ask you a question about this story. With that as the starting point, with that story as setting the pace for their marriage, with that story as setting the tone for the rest of their lives, what happens if this guy misses on one of those promises? What happens if the guy misses? Because what he did at, at, at dinner that day, he began to unpack this, this day. He said, the car, the first car was the normal days of our lives. That's just normal life, and this is what you can expect out of me for those. Then he said, the boat is for times that are fun. We're going to have fun in our marriage. I promise to do this when we have fun times. The limo is when people have to help us and drive us. People have to be, come alongside of us. That's, this is what I promise in those times when somebody else is driving us. He continues, says, the airplane ride is symbolic of our spiritual journey. As we take off, we lift, we're going to be above everything else, and we're going to ride with God, and it's going to be an amazing experience. And then the beautiful jloppy truck, that's for the times that are difficult and tough, and we grow older, and when things aren't the way they used to be, this is what you can expect out of me then. What if this guy with this incredible story, this incredible marriage proposal, what if this guy misses on one or, the, one or two of those things? Don't you think that girl is going to be devastated and absolutely lost? So guys, that's our, that's our, that's our help there today. We, we're, that doesn't happen sometimes for all of us. Because this guy didn't know marriage, did he? He didn't know the long-term things. He knew the truck. He knew about these things. He knew they'd have those tough times, but he didn't accept, understand or know the depth and the breadth of the highs and the mids and the lows and all those things. He didn't get it yet. Sometimes in our lives, this, our spiritual lives and our normal lives and our worldly lives and all of our lives sometimes, we know God's promises are true and they are extravagant and they are big and they are wonderful and they are good. But because sometimes we forget that God is not on our timetable and that God's silence does not mean he's inactive. That we at times take his promises and take the things he speaks about and we equate them to those things and say, well, God, if you didn't do this, then maybe you're not as good as you say that you are. Church this morning, he is every bit as good as he said he would be. 
if we confuse his, his promises, if we don't know his promises, if we don't understand and walk with God in, in truth and obedience in the heart that says, God, no matter what, I trust you and I believe you. I'll walk with you through no matter what. That's when we get, begin to understand and know the truth of God's promises and how good they are this morning. Your God has made epic promises. He has made these aware of the joy, aware of the experiences, aware of the highs, aware of the lows, aware of the mids, aware of the normal day-to-day life. Aware of all these things, his promise remains the same. His promise remains the same, that the same promise he gave us so many years ago, that we add things to, we change things. His promise was he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, that through him we could know what peace really is all about. And through him we could know forgiveness. And through him we could know life. And through him we could know challenge and change and work and ministry. And through that promise given so many years ago, the promise was, that we did not have to die in our sin. What a blessing God's given us. Knowing so many years ago the kind of life we'd live. Will it always be easy? No, it won't always be easy. I talked this morning to Norman Cachevere about some of the struggles in my, in my life, and he was his too. Those struggles are sometimes difficult in the moment and tough in the time, but yet they prove to be the things that change us and make us and mold us. God's given us promises. And church, he's given us promise of freedom and a promise of deliverance. Band to come up to sp- today. We're going to s- finish off with one Christmas carol this morning. He's given us promises this morning. And when God makes promises, they may not come true when we expect. They may not come true in, <clears throat> in our times. They may not come true in our lifetime. But his promises to remain the same. And he's called us to keep hoping, keep praying, keep comforting, Keep seeking and keep obeying. That's what I want to land on this morning, church. To continue to obey and walk in obedience. Let's not get away from the truth of his word. The truth of obeying him through things. Of obeying him through tough times in life. I leave you today with encouragement and promise from his word today. John 15, 11. It says, I've told you these things that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Just stand this morning all across this room. Let's stand up today. I've told you these things, and your joy may overflow. What was he telling us? He was referring to words of encouragement and words of commandments, calling us to obey. And church this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed today. This morning, church, I want to bring encouragement to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you are, are here and you are in a place with God where you don't know him. Maybe you <clears throat> grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in a place where you knew God and knew who he was. But whatever happened and you're, now you're, he's gone, he's out of your life. I want to encourage you today to not give up. He's not giving up on you. But maybe the problem was not his promises. Maybe the problem was you gave up too soon. I want to encourage you today to continue to seek him, to walk with him, to know him, to obey him. And then his word says, your joy may be full. If that's you today, if you want to give your heart to Jesus this morning, you want to say, Lord, I'm making a commitment today to give you my all. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you this morning. 
No one looking around, just, just us. If that's you today, I see one hand, hallelujah. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus today. It's my day. It's time. I'm giving it up to him. Anybody else? A few more moments and I'm going to close this part out. And we're going to pray and ask God to come into that person's life. Anybody else? You want to give your heart to Jesus. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Do it today. Five, four, three, two, <clears throat> one. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Jesus, for your goodness and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are the kind of God that makes promises, Lord. And your promises, you keep them, Lord. Lord, your promises are full. They're true. They're keapable, Lord. And they are not untrue, Jesus. And I pray, oh, that person that raised their hand this morning, that you come into their lives. If, that's, if you raise your hand, this is what I want you to say. I want to say, Jesus, come into my life. Clean me up. Change me from the inside out. I'm sorry for my sin, and I give my life to you. If you pray that prayer this morning, pray that, and the word says you are saved. Hallelujah. Heads bowed, still eyes closed this morning. No, look, no one looking around. <clears throat> We're going to sing this morning a Christmas carol today. We're going to close out with this today. The first Noel. I want you to do what I've done this last few weeks. I want you to think back and say, Lord, thank you for the first Noel. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for your, tr for your life. Lord, thank you for the fact that above anything else, above my stuff, above my junk, above all my, my life, Lord, you came so that I could know God, so that I could have peace, so that my sin would be cleaned away and remembered no more. As we sing today, remember that today. And Jesus and I pray, let's sing. Hallelujah.
praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Oh. Church, let's just let continue this morning. And let's just be in an attitude of worship today. This is why he came. Because he knew me. He knew you. He knew the lostness that we would have without him. He knew the level of lostness that we would that we could, part, could, could be and do was greater and, and more amazing and more deep than we could ever know. And he came, the king of Israel, he came to save us from our sin. I don't want to get to the place in my life when I have known God so long and I've known God so much that I get comfortable with that fact. That without Jesus, without this moment, without Christmas, that I am hopeless and I lost without him. But with him and with Christmas, I have hope. I have freedom and I have peace. But not because of me, because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. Jesus, I thank you for that this morning. If you're here today and you're in need, I, I want to ask if our elders could come forward this morning and just find a spot here at our altar. <clears throat> I want to encourage you to not rush out today, to not just rush out of the way this morning. And I want to keep this room today for the next few moments in a place of worship, in a place of just stopping and reflecting and thinking. And that's what I want to do right now. Let's just stop and reflect and think. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I am forever indebted to you for what you've done for me. Lord, I'm forever indebted, and I cannot pay that back. Lord, I cannot pay back what you've done for me, but Jesus, I don't have to, Lord. You've given me the chance to know you and walk with you, and Lord, I happily, with all my heart, give you my life. Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it all. And this morning, Lord Jesus, as a church, we exist so that people can say that. Lord, it's worth it all. I'd do it a hundred thousand times more. I would go through it all again, Lord, because you are good. Lord, I pray this morning, Jesus, if there's those here today that are walking through a tough time right now, I pray over them. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would not necessarily change their situation unless that's what you want to do. Lord, and not just do that, but Lord, I pray deeper and better that, Lord, you would come into their situation. And, Lord, you'd show them that you walk with us through the storms, through the tough times. You bring deliverance. You bring peace. You bring hope. You bring joy. In tough times, no one else and nothing else can do that like you can. If there are those here today, God, that are struggling with a financial thing, a, a health thing, a kid thing, a, a parent thing, or whatever else thing it might be. We pray blessing over their lives. Minister in them, I pray, Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, you continue to make it so, so that we can say, with all of our hearts and our lives and our soul and our strength, thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. I pray this in your strong and holy name, Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm.